Welcome to the Jockey Club, a podcast looking at the movie Let It Ride, one scene at a time. My name is Dan Delgado, and we're at historic Hialeah Park where one man is having the best day of his life. I'm having a good day. So come on in and hang out while we talk about this day and the greatest movie of all time, Let It Ride. Don't worry about that guy at the door. I've got you covered. You can even take my seat to the jockey club. Welcome back to the Jockey Club. This episode, we're discussing the fifth scene of Let It Ride, which, if you're playing along at home, this is where Trotter and Looney head back to the track from Marty's bar. It's from minute 1537 to minute 1822. Joining me at my usual table for the second time in a row is the writer of the official Netflix DVD blog and the host of the Cinema Shame podcast, the man with three first names, Mr. James David Patrick. So come on, take your seat, and let's ride into this scene. So, James, here we go. We are picking up right after leaving Marty's Bar, which is definitely not the Lucky Horseshoe Cafe. So we've got Looney, we've got Jay, and we're going back across to the track, and we're getting some nice shots of horses we're getting a look at what the track looks like it's a little romantic like the way that they're portraying the track here yeah the sun is glistening off the horses they're 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 showing them in all their glory and and uh it's it's a nice little segue back into the track yeah, it, it almost feels like for a minute you're watching the sport of kings, right? It, it it does. There's a bit of, I don't know, almost pageantry to it as everyone's watching the horses kind of like come out and get around and lots of tourists just sort of gathering. And here we have... Let's hit pause here because I will do my favorite thing, which is going back to the screen. Oh, I, you know what? I, this has become my favorite thing. So let's do it. <laughs> what have you got for me, James? Because I think this is an important distinction in the way that the movie was adapted once again. Okay. This this little blurb, this tiny little segue right. in particular, is important to see how it was taken from script to screen. Mm-hmm. So in the script, it is played as comedy. There's none of these magnificent beasts. So I'm going to take this verbatim from the description. It's not a pretty sight. The one horse Myrtle's delight is trying to scratch its stomach with its back leg. The three horse shy ruler has its cheeks blown full of air. The seven horse blurred image. Marty's hot flash is biting at flies. The eight horse low fat bringing back low fat for you. Thank you. Is watching ants. <laughs> I, that's that's the introduction to the scene. I don't really know how they were going to get these horses to do those particular things. That you were going to get blurred image to look at ants, to have the other one. Uh, you know, I don't know that that was going to really be realistic. <laughs> Even though it, it really gives you the idea that they are going to some dumpy track with some old dumpy horses. Yep. Instead of what we're getting, which is a lot of sunshine and it just looks beautiful there. It does. It looks like a beautiful horse track. It looks like this was this would be something that you could partake in and, and just enjoy the spectacle of the arena. 
yes. horses running, like very majestic. Yes. And we're also introduced to a character called Mickey Jacks here. He's not named as far as I know in the movie itself. He he pops in later to say something about the five horse, I think. Well, he actually shows up in the third scene. He, he he's got a, he reappears, but I don't think he, is, is he ever named because oh I no no he's never named but you okay he he shows up and he has an interaction with Trotter Trotter just lifts I guess twenty bucks from him gives it to Looney uh, you see right. him he's kind of <laughs> I don't know I guess he's hustling the old ladies as they're getting off the bus all yes which, yes yes which yes. is funny because when he pops up here and I totally forgot that he reappeared here anytime he shows up again it's like oh yeah when he shows up here. What, what is he doing? He's going immediately to an old lady to try to get her to bet. And it's funny because, all right, so we're almost skipping ahead, but we might as well go with it. So, uh, well, I was going to, before we jump ahead to him in, in a second, yeah. he has a line that was excised here. Oh, give it and to him. He me. says, I'm dizzy just smelling the glue, reinforcing <laughs> this vision of a bunch of decrepit nags. Oh, and wow. The sport of who can be less worse right yeah that so it's a very different version of what we're getting here i mean there is some of that cynicism running throughout the film but it hits you hard in this transition from the bar to the racetrack you know what's funny i mean if you go with this idea that the track has dumpy horses which then will make you think that this is not a very good track right you'll right think oh this is some I don't know, some bust-out track out somewhere. But when you get to the jockey club later on in the movie, those people who are elevated, living their little hoity-toity lives, they would not go to some dumpy old track if, it, if there wasn't majestic beasts around, if it wasn't nice. Like, those people that are up there, those rich jerks, aren't going to dirty old tracks, are they? I, I, I wouldn't think so. It's not played that way, no. We we're not supposed to see them as, I don't know, bourgeois or, mm -hmm. like, especially gauche. Like, I mean, they are, but they're not. I mean, I guess you could say that this is just, like, they're, they're big fish in a small pond. Oh, sure. Like, if you wanted to interpret it that way. No doubt, again, no doubt. I, I don't, and I don't, I, I agree with you. I, I don't see this as, like, the dump that this particular scene transition is making it out to be. And maybe in a, in a visual way, this is presenting Trotter's day as more worthwhile. Like, is it, does it take away from his achievement if we're slumming it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can even take it one step further and think, well, what if this is a dog track, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the way it seems like the, the script was reading here. It wanted to take it down. And... I don't, that's definitely not the best direction for the movie because it really does show sort of the really engaging side of the sport. Yeah, it's interesting because this script sounds like it's so much darker than what the movie is. There's a lot of cynicism. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And again, man, I really hate the idea that you're telling me these things and I'm constantly thinking, oh, I'm so glad they didn't do that. Because that's generally not how you think of things. You usually think, oh, gee, if not for studio interference, if not for those test screenings, we would have gotten something even better. But now, I'm, every time you interject with one of these things, I'm like, no, I think this was, this was a good change. I, what, now, in the script, at any point, is the track named? 
I, I haven't paid attention to that. Okay. I'm going to guess that it's probably not. It's I, They don't even... I don't think it... They don't even uh, name it in the movie. You know, I don't remember it, but that doesn't mean it's not there because I wasn't you know, looking for it. But I do not remember it being a point of mention. Yeah, I don't even think they name it in the movie at all. I, I don't ever, ever recalling it coming up. I don't think so either. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, let's get to where we were, where Trotty, Trotty, Trotter and Looney are heading back to the track. And so... Looney goes up to the railing, and there he says hello to Evangeline. He does not say hello to Sid. Sid shoots him a funny look, which I think is a nice little moment. And then he calls Trotter over. Hey, look, I've got uh, room for you over here. And Trotter and Sid engage with uh, a very interesting little hello, which makes me wonder, do these guys actually like each other? I don't know. No? I, I think it's a relationship of convenience. Okay. A familiarity. Okay. Because I just I don't get the impression that Trotter is really fond of any of them. <laughs> no, he probably isn't, right? <laughs> he probably isn't. But I just think how in the previous scene when Sid shows up, he says, "Where's Trotter?" Like, "Hey, gang's all here." Wait, my pal Trotter is missing. And then when they mm-hmm. see each other, it's I don't know. The the hello is is very funny. You get the impression that eh, maybe not so friendly. Anyway, this is where Sid decides to. I, I don't know. Is he trying to impress Evangeline by espousing the wisdom of you take a horse with a large ass in a field like this and you got a winner? That's his expert analysis on what's going on, mm-hmm. which is great. I don't know if anyone's impressed by this, but I, I, I guess I didn't really register <laughs> what Evangeline thought. I know she asked Trotter, who he's betting on, and Looney answers for him saying it's the four horse. Which D- Trotter's not into that. Let's not share our pick to everyone. Sid has right. Sid has to immediately mention like like what it's a what a joke. Yeah, this is the first time we're hearing what a joke it is that the four horse is so terrible. Although, if you think of like I I remember thinking, how does everybody know that this horse is so terrible? It's a, it's almost like it's the number that's bad, right? Because the way they respond, they talk about the four horse. Do they, especially with Sid, you wonder how much does he actually, with the comments before this, how much does he actually know about horses beyond divining? Oh, the the four, the number four is never good. Never bet on the four. Like, has, has he really analyzed these horses that are just walking out now? And this is his expert opinion. And that's probably, I mean, Trotter knows he's full of shit. I think so. Absolutely. I mean, his big analysis that we've had so far is if you get a, a horse with a large ass, your goal, that's that's where the money goes. Come out. Well, it's like this is the moment where it's like Trotter knows he doesn't know anything, yes. but he knows that Sid knows even less. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And maybe yeah. and that's the wisdom, right? So look, when you when you know, you know nothing. That's the true wisdom. Ah, yes, that's true. That's true. A lot of these guys don't really, and and you know, this is a good scene for that because not only does Sid espouse some not some faux knowledge, I think Looney does as well when he yeah. he's trying to interpret what the horse owners are saying to the jockey, which is is coming up, and then whatever Mickey Jacks is saying to the random old lady. So let me just run it down. Sid says that horse has leprosy. This is a great Richard Dreyfus delivery of. This is a horse race. This isn't the Olympics. Like, right. So many of his the, the, his line deliveries are this so. This scene good. has has a couple of real Richard Dreyfus bangers too. Absolutely. For such a short scene, it's packed with Richard Dreyfus lines. Like every line he says, it's 
It's not only is the line solid, but his delivery of it is just perfect. It's got every line has a different. I mean, I guess you could say spin on it because they're not straight line deliveries. Absolutely not. No, they are not. All right. So this is where a random old lady, probably from the bus that we saw earlier in the third right. scene, shows up and, and just mentions, oh, that she likes charity as well. She likes the number four horse. And got a cute nose. <laughs> it's got a cute nose, which is a great reason to bet. And Mickey Jack seemingly just appears out of thin air. Foomp, and mm-hmm. points out, listen, the five horse is a mortal lock. And you know he's looking to have her give him some money to, please, give me some cash. I will go bet this for you. This is the second time we've heard the phrase mortal lock. Sid says it in the scene prior when he walks into, the, into Marty's bar. That whatever, I don't remember which horse he's looking at, but it's, whatever it is, it's a mortal lock and I'm going to wheel him. <laughs> this is also, <laughs> the next thing is that Charity's conscious. Like, right. finally. Which is another, which is another great little eccentric line delivery from Richard Dreyfus here. Yes. Noticing that. Charity's conscious. Yes. <laughs> what, what, what are we actually excited about? The horse is actually. Mm-hmm. Awake. The horse is upright on the track. It, yes. It's awake. And this is where Looney sees the two guys from the cab who were having the conversation that has spurned everything. And <laughs> another driver's great delivery is that this is in the bag. That confidence right there. Right. right. Now, that's the first time he believes something. Yes. Right. Before we, the last scene, he's praying for something. And now he's positive. Maybe. Is it because he sees what those two guys actually look like? And they're both a couple of guys wearing suits. They look like they've got money in their pocket. They look like they know what they're doing. They're out there. They're about. They look like they, they wouldn't throw mm-hmm. that much money down the toilet. That's right. That's right. And so. They look like success. They look like what he aspires to be. And this is where those guys, well, one of them leans into the jockey. And Looney comes up with the idea. He's probably telling him to go wide on the first turn, as though this is... More of the group's infinite wisdom yes. about horse racing. Yes, yes, this great strategy. Stay wide around the first turn. Stay wide around the first turn, whatever that means. I have no idea if that's legit or not. Anyway. Oh, he's running more. He's, he's, I know. It, yes, he's making the race longer. I know. It doesn't sound like a good idea, doesn't right? Doesn't sound like good. Doesn't sound like good advice. <laughs> And so, but again, I I, I don't know. <laughs> and so Trotter is reading the man's lips as he talks to the jockey, and he says, "Go fast and win." Yes, that's it. Go fast and win. What a great phrase! And it sure does look like that's what he says, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like okay, it means the fix is in. Go fast and win. Go fast and win. We've been holding you back these last few races. So maybe that's why everybody thinks that that Charity is a bad horse. Maybe they've seen the other races where that horse is held back and intentionally lost. And now mm-hmm. shackles are off. Go fast and win. And immediately, I, I love how these things just happen, right? So Trotter interprets what the man says. And then the two of them look at each other. And then they look at the board that has all of mm-hmm. the odds on it. And the odds on Charity drop from 40 to 1 to 20 to 1, which is a pretty big drop, letting you know that someone has made probably a decent-sized bet on that horse, right? 
I think that this, the editing here, and the editing in this movie is pristine. Like, the way this movie keeps it going forward, we talked about this in the last episode. But I think it does a good job of explaining to people what's happening without over-explaining it, which you could through dialogue. They don't over-explain how, how the bet was made and the odds drop because of the bet. They look at the odds, they change, he made the bet. Yes. Now let's go. Yes. And I think even for the uninformed viewer who doesn't know anything about horse racing, I think they, they understand everything that's happening here without any of that extra. And the movie is very good about that, keeping it going forward without bogging it down in the semantics of horse racing. Mm -hmm. Now, are any of these cuts, the, the way that this plays out, where they look at each other, they look at the board, and then they see that the bet has been made, is that how it is in your script? The scene is, is jumbled a little bit. Largely, uh, that, that exchange, um, there is a couple more lines that have been excised. Okay. But go fast and win, and then they scan the odds. It changes. It that that's that sticks to the beats of the script pretty well. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. So now Trotter is going to go off and make his bet, and he has this great exchange with Looney. Looney asks him, "Do you really think Charity could win?" And then Trotter is now going to list all of the reasons. Well, let's see. I'm walking around in yesterday's suit, which I love the phrase "yesterday's suit." Mm -hmm. <laughs> I wonder, yep. does, does Jay wear a suit every day? I don't know. <laughs> that he told his wife he was going to stop gambling, that he was going to move back in with her right after work, which we presume is this morning, since they seem to be driving cabs on the overnight shift, <laughs> and that he could hear her telling her lawyer to go for his balls. And so he grabs him and yells, yes, I think it can win. I think Charity's going to win. And Looney's reaction, what do you make of this? Looney's reaction. Well, he's, he's still he's still bringing him back down to earth. He's like, I think Charity's going to lose by a nose. By a nose, yeah, like like perpetually the pessimist. Yes, there's no way that you can win because something will go wrong. Charity's going to lose, and by a nose, like you're going to come so close and still be an utter failure. Now, he is reacting to Trotter grabbing him and yelling in his face, which which I understand, right? But at the same time, this is not the first time. In, in the previous scene, he kind of mentioned very, very dismissively, ah, that horse could be a late scratch. And so here it's not only is it going to lose, going to lose by a nose. It's going to be very close and it's going to break. Not only will you lose, you it, it will break your heart at, at the same time. It's the worst yep. kind of loss you can have. That's what you're getting. And, and then that's it. That's the, the end of this scene. So is there anything else that I'm missing here? We talked about the line deliveries here, and I think that's, I mean, Dreyfus is immaculate in this, in this movie, in this role. And we, and we see that here. I wrote down every, every time he had a, had a line delivery. And, and I mean, he only has so many lines and all of them I, I've mentioned as like, I, I've written down and noted, even his reading of the go fast and win. I mean, I, this scene is as much about the exchange and the racetrack dynamics as the last one, but we've transplanted it to the track. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It, it, in many ways, it's a continuation of that same conversation. Yes. 
we're getting the overlapping dialogue, the multiple characters there along the racetrack, uh, the various attitudes toward horse racing, the way that they bet, the this horse is terrible, this horse is great, and the logic is all jumbled and mixed up, and nobody knows anything. So when when Dreyfus grabs him and yells yes, is it written that way, that he's supposed to, to grab him, that he's supposed to yell yes, or was that a choice that maybe Dreyfus made on his own? Do we have any? I think that may have been, I think that may have been a choice. Yeah, I wonder about that. I think that's performance. Yeah, I think so too. I think I'm sure he's supposed to yell yes. I'm support. I'm sure that's supposed to be, a, uh, yes. Like he's annoyed because, of course, Looney's next line is a reaction to that line. But you know, the grabbing and then the yelling in the face. I think this is all Dreyfus. Yeah. I, I think I think this this the end of this scene is not written with any emphasis. It's not written for him to grab Looney. There's no emphasis on, yes, I think Charity can win. The The speech is different. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, it's it's the same sentiment, but it, it picks different details to highlight. Yes. Like, it's it's about the money in my pocket, and he's driving his wife's car, because we talked, like, he gave the parking lot attendant situation that's in earlier in the script that, that has been excised, so the, that he's driving his wife's car is irrelevant. Ah, uh, okay, yes. I saw that on, you know, that's one of the deleted scenes on, on the DVD. And yeah, yeah I can't, I don't, that's enough. That's a scene where I go, yeah, I'm kind of glad we, we got rid of that. Cause that just, I don't know that jibes that he's that confident rolling in that he's going to give yeah, away. It doesn't the really, it doesn't really fit. No, it doesn't. Up until, up until this, this point, he isn't really sure about anything. Exactly. Yes. Th- this is when he's got his first dose of confidence. And he's like, yeah, this is going to work. And he's still only thinking about this one bet. That one bet doesn't save his life. This one bet doesn't fix his relationship. This this one bet is just one bet. It'll be great if he wins. I'm sure he's like enthusiastic about this. But this is the first point where something like so he's he's really acknowledging something magical or the confidence that he that he's going to have. Today. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, another another good choice to to cut that scene. It seemed just odd. I remember watching. It, I was like, yeah, I don't think this would be happening at this point in the movie. That he's tossing his car away yeah removing those scenes that the at least the ones that we have available to us on the dvd right really streamlines this character and you know we talked about the the adaptation and and how it's brought to the screen and Mm -hmm. how paramount felt about it and telling them to reshoot or rejigger this or change that and some of this was was joe pitka's vision for this movie and we talked about his music video background and and the way he wants a uh, film to move Mm-hmm. And that certainly plays into it. And we'll never know exactly how much Paramount had to do with bring this final version that we saw. But we'll just call it the collaborative process. The collaborative process that brought this to screen, mm-hmm. it did its job. We do tend to label studios the bad guys because more often than not, we hear about the ways they've butchered visionaries. Always. That's always the story. And And... Yeah. And, you know, maybe Let It Ride isn't a visionary movie by any means. Maybe we're, we're not talking about Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. But as pop entertainment in the year that it was made, somebody got something right in, in what they wanted out of this movie. They then royally screwed it 
by not supporting its distribution, moving it up a month so that it's competing against summer blockbusters. That you know what that is a good point because I, yeah, I'm probably giving a little too much leeway to the studio. I'm also, I mean, we know that it is the studio that want to change that first scene, but this other scene that we're talking about where where Jay gives his car away, I, I don't know why that got dropped from the movie. It could be someone else's suggestion. Could be the editor's right. suggestion. I don't know. Could be Pitka. No idea. So no idea. So I should not be but, crediting Paramount with everything here. No, they had in, they had influence that. The face value seems positive because we've we've forced them to streamline the film. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that was undertaken by the creative talent. And looking at this, looking at this particular exchange, holding a microscope on this end of the scene, which I think we have to 100% credit Dreyfus performance. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is one of the scenes where you start realize, oh, well, this is definitely... He's he's operating yeah. on another level. Yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. I hate to say something like, like that, but that, that's absolutely true. You know, it, it doesn't happen with... I don't know. It's not every movie that he does where he's this magnetic. And I find it to be magnetic in just about everything. But it, it right. does... And I'm talking about in terms of, like, Richard Dreyfuss's career arc absolutely right? i mean he's he's definitely a capable comic actor but he is you know more often than not more of the straight man you look at something like stakeout which is a fantastic comedy but it's not this level of comedic performance that script that's situational that's that's not what's happening here and, and he's gone on to do dramas he's been excellent but i think this movie kind of <laughs> stands out among his specific comedic performances. And this exchange, talking about what's in performance and what's in the script, is Pitka allowing Dreyfus to do something with the scene. And, you know, I was watching because I noted that there wasn't any emphasis on, yes, I think Charity can win, because that is such an emphasized line, especially after grabbing him. Mm -hmm. And that's not here. So that's coming out of the man himself. That's coming out of... I think that's that that's coming out of the, yeah, it's it's the individual creative choice that he's that he's making with this, and you know you're looking at Looney to see how he reacts to it, see whether maybe there is some surprise, maybe it, they've rehearsed it that way, you know you, you don't you don't know, but you like you like to think right that there's this this moment of divine inspiration. Oh, yes, set. <laughs> yes. That Dreyfus is like doing it for the fifth or sixth time and he's like you know what i'm just gonna grab him and go to town and like that's the take that's it cut print we're done here yeah i wouldn't i would not want to know that he did that all five times no no you, right? you want to believe yeah. in that that creative spark that that little bit of magic yeah that's true all right so just slightly different topic here what are the other richard dreyfus comedies that you would look at and say oh no wait what about this one is there another Richard Dreyfuss comedy where you go, oh, you know what? No, no, that this this is on a on a similar level, in terms of individual performance, you know? Yeah, and and, and I think the the issue there is that if you look at the movies the man has made, not a lot of them are just straight comedies, right? So Stakeout, no. which is great movie, love Stakeout, but there's also high drama going on in that film as well, right? And 
if you look, you know, he's a guy who who consistently kind of straddles that what they used to refer to as comedy dramas. When you would look at it in the TV guide, it would have that yeah. listed as the the genre, right? So like, you know, whatever you've got, you know, Goodbye Girl or Dirty Kravitz or whatever it is that you want to toss in there, they're all kind of in there. And a lot of times, it seems as though the role is a little bit funnier because of how he plays it. I think of something like Down and Out in Beverly Hills. There, yes. Um, that's one that I would probably cite. It, it, he's not a hyperbolic in that movie. He's also not the the lead. He's, you know, what the, is he the third character? Would you say? I think he's third. Yeah, yeah I, I'd say he's third bill. Yeah. But in terms of his individual contribution, mm-hmm. I, I, I might look at that one. Uh, you could even look at Moon Over Parador, which for sure was released the year prior to Let It Ride, which has some of the same manic Dreyfus absolutely yes input, and maybe that's just a thing he was trying out. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know because in terms of like a sister film, in terms of just looking at performance, that's probably the one. I mean, it's it's not in the same league in my mind, even though I. I admit to really enjoying Moon Over Parador because, again, of their Dreyfus performance. I have not seen that in, I don't know, 30 years. Well, that's because we saw it, again, every other day on HBO in the <laughs> late 80s because have I a solid swear point. they just ran that. <laughs> this is absolutely And that true. movie has a number of really fun performances in it. It's not as good as oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Raul- all of the people that are contributing to the movie. That's true. I mean, but yeah, Raul Julia is having a, a great time in that film, as he I is. recall. Jonathan Winters pops up. and Oh, see, I don't even remember that Jonathan Winters is in that movie. No. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I have to watch that. Oh, you, you were sort of like Charo. Oh, oh. Sammy Davis okay. Jr. pops in. Charo, I, oddly enough, I remember Charo, <laughs> but I don't remember Jonathan Winters or Sammy Davis. What is going on? Yeah. Okay. I mean, Fernando Ray's in it, for goodness sakes. It's just, <laughs> it, it's one of those movies that I, I think people at this point might think was kind of a fever dream. Like maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Cause it's not really well known anymore. And it was so on the present on cable television mm-hmm. at that time. It, it was, you know, a not particularly well-received movie that was cheap to play and was run all the time. And, I, I am quite sure I owned that on VHS myself and even went above and beyond and watched it on my own without HBO's influence. Look at you. That's crazy. I, I, did, <laughs> I did watch it not too long ago. I busted out the DVD. Oh, out. really? And how, how does it hold up for you? Years ago. You know, I still found it enjoyable. Okay. Uh, I'm sure I would. Part of it's like because it. I, I watched it and I was like, you know, I still kind of feel this movie in my bones. Yeah. There's, there's a handful of movies from that time period that were on all the time and even when I think I've forgotten them, I kind of just slip right into them. And it's like, yeah, like I, I can still remember specific lines and dramatic beats. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they all it all comes flooding back whether I wanted to or not. OK, so it's not that long ago that I realized that it's Lauren Dreyfus is the dictator in Moon Over Parador. Is that something that you're always aware of? No. OK. All right. No. I'm, in fact, I'm not even aware of Lauren Dreyfus until like maybe two years ago that I knew he existed. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen Detective School Dropouts with uh, him. OK, so it's it, yes, 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 yes. That's when I first realized there was another one. Oh, OK, there you go. Was that yeah. was that movie? That. Because I it was on a like burn on it was on when a 
made to order DVD release from Sony. Maybe I can't, I, I don't remember. I'm trying to think of the, the box cover, but I picked it up because of the realization. I saw, I saw the actors in it. I'm like, that's weird. Oh yeah. Then once he starts talking, it's, oh, wait a second. What is happening here? Okay. This is most definitely a Dreyfus. And uh, speaking of Lauren though, he's in the movie. He's in let it ride. I don't know where though. I've never seen him. He's grandstand person. Whatever that means. Does that mean he's a so he's an extra? Just an okay. Well, I've got another reason to rewatch it. I guess I, I, I am, I've never noticed him. Okay, yeah, I am now hoping very much that I'll be able to spot him since I'm watching it one scene at a time. But yeah, I I have no. I think he may be the last credited person in the movie, and and also his daughter, who's an actress, uh, Natalie, I think, Natalie Dreyfus, who is. Mm-hmm. Is, is also in it, and she's, I think, two or three. And, again, no idea. But things to look for, I guess, coming up. And so to the other two movies I think I, I, I'd pick up. I mean, obviously, what about Bob? Because Absolutely. He, Absolutely. He, he starts as a straight man and winds up Manic Dreyfus. And then the other comedic performance I think I had on my mind was Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Oh, that's he's, true. again... He's a supporting player yes. in that. Okay, so... Our, but again, uh-huh. it's it's a very crafty comedic performance. It's a great performance in that one. And yeah. really an overlooked movie at this point. Are we going to toss in Krippendorf's Tribe? <laughs> you know, I haven't seen that since the theater. I don't remember a thing about All it. Right. I'm just, I'll tell you what. I'm just going to choose to keep it off out of the conversation for right now. <laughs> okay, so... All right, so, yeah, you know, that's interesting, though, because all of the ones that we're talking about that we would look at and say, all right, these are the Dreyfus comedies, right? Even starting, even if we want to put in Down and Out and, and the ones where he's a third man, right? Rosencrantz. Yeah. It all starts with Down and Out from what we're talking about. Down and Out, Beverly Hills, and Moonover Moon Parador, where that's, what, 186, Parador's 88, Let It Ride, 89. So maybe, I don't know, is there just more of a push for him to to get a little more comedic to kind of go with the comedy i i don't know might be a, a symptom of the era as well probably they became more pop culture more light comedies uh were more popular later in the 80s the the last vestiges of the 70s were still hanging around at the beginning of the decade and he didn't really work much in the beginning of the 80s oh yeah he had uh maybe some issues going on because it, it also may have, I mean, the, the big fix was 1978, yeah. and I, I really liked that movie, but after that, there's not a whole lot to speak of until Down and Out in 86. Yeah, he kind of, uh, I don't know, sort of disappears for a little bit. I really do love Whose Life Is It Anyway, which is not a comedy, but... No. But still... And it wasn't very popular either. I saw it not too long ago, but yeah, I mean, it's Dreyfus and Cassavetes, so I mean, you get an idea of where that's going. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to be a fun time, but I do remember, when I think about that movie, I think about his performance. He's yeah fairly spirited for a guy who can't walk. All right, so since you brought up What About Bob, I'm, all right, so I'm just going to mention something. You, you Tell me what you think. So Joseph Walsh, who plays Vibes, mm-hmm. who wrote California Split, he shows up in this movie. He brings his brother with him. He has right now sort of a memoir out. And 
it's really more of, I would say, a collection of anecdotes than a straight, you know, autobiography, right? Mm-hmm. And so I got this because I really wanted to see if he had anything interesting to say about Let It Ride. But as it turns out, he says zero about it. And the only time he mentions Richard Dreyfus is that he is with Dreyfus's manager and the and Walsh and Dreyfus's manager are betting on I think a basketball game. And the manager gets a call from Dreyfus from the What About Bob set. And it's because you know, Bill Murray had thrown a, a chair or something at him. Maybe an ashtray, something like this. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's your only Richard Dreyfus mention, even though he was in a movie with him. And I don't know what to think of that. I mean, it, it makes me wonder if he does not think that highly of the movie, or maybe it's just not interesting enough to put in a book. Yeah, I know. I've given you nothing who to work. I've kind of given you nothing well, to work. Like who with. knows? Who knows what what sticks with? But yeah. I think you can you can look at Let It Ride was dubbed a failure for sure. For- and when a movie has that stigma to it, the studios kind of want to forget about it. The actors don't want to talk about it. It just gets pushed aside. I suppose so. I mean, he, I, for him, I understand he did not have a particularly big role in Let It Ride. He pops up here and there. He does get to work with his brother. I don't know. You'd think that would be something. But yeah, I always just thought it was interesting that that didn't get brought up at all, especially because a lot of what he talks about is gambling. It's definitely a part of the guy's life. Or was. Well, it seems like it, it sh- you had the prompts there. Yeah. <laughs> if you're talking about gambling and I bring up Let It Ride... Mm. Yeah, but I really do think it speaks to sort of the the movie production mentality. Whether a movie is good or not is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Did the movie make money? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, we celebrate it. If the answer is no, what movie? <laughs> there was a there was a oh now I'm going to struggle to come up with the book name. Final cut. Final cut. Oh, okay. Yes, a classic. Final cut. Yeah. yeah. Really digs into the success and failure based on financial status hmm. in Hollywood. The way entire careers hinge on a bad bet to use the gambling. Please do. Parlance. So in final cut, as as you may, as you, you know, People will have heard of Heaven's Gate as the greatest box office disaster that ever lived. Destroyed studios, destroyed careers. Michael Cimino was never heard from again, except he did work. Yeah, yeah. The movie... He himself was kind of swept under the rug. The movie literally exploded when it was shown in theaters. It was that much of a bomb. Yes. Yes. It It was shown and pulled and recut and shown and pulled and went through this cycle of the studio trying desperately to recoup some of its obsessive million, obsessively millions of dollars that it invested into this art house Western blockbuster that nobody wanted to watch. And you're reading this book, you're, you're like getting pulled into this mentality where, whereby the dollar is the bottom line and the people who don't make the money are shuffled off and sent out to sea. Mm-hmm. 
and it does go into some of these things that that I you know you, you think about when movies don't land. And I was thinking that about specifically because I talked about my experience with Tom Hanks and Joe versus Volcano when he thought I was joking that I said that it was my favorite of his movies and I wanted to talk about why he abandoned comedy for drama and, and the whole thing was met with, well, why wouldn't I? And <laughs> why would you want to talk about that movie? Yeah. Yeah, that's so... Yeah, I, and I'm like, but the you're... And it was like, I, I didn't have the opportunity because it was a roundtable conversation. Those 80s comedies there's something that nobody else does like your performance quality in even like the money pit like is very hanksian like there there is a way that you go about acting in a comedy that nobody else does absolutely absolutely and looking at joe versus volcano again and like that is a movie that maybe was weird for Hollywood standards because John Patrick Shanley had this specific vision and you inhabited that character 100%. And that was something that I can't, I can't see anyone else really succeeding at. So, and that movie was a failure as well. It was sort of shuffled aside. Nobody wants to talk about it. It was a bomb and it, it wasn't actually that unsuccessful. That gives you an idea of how quickly mm. these things that, that get these labels get pushed aside. And sometimes they make out alive. I mean, there is a devoted but small fan base for Joe versus Volcano, just as there is a very devoted but small fan base for Let It Ride. I would think that Joe versus the Volcano has sort of developed into a bit of a cult favorite at this point. Am I wrong? I, th I think it has. Okay. It's, it's, I think it's developed some of that. I think that there, there's a lot more buzz about it now, even than there was 10, 15 years ago. That Hanks would be surprised that you would like that movie. That really kind of surprises me that he doesn't seem to realize, you know, what that movie was almost. Like, I, does he just look right? And I, right? That, that's. You, yeah, so maybe this breaks I mean, back. That's what I'm digging into here is like, yeah. it's got the label. Like, it, it was a failure. Why would I want to talk about yeah. it? Yeah. Not even considering that this movie succeeded on so many unique levels. It, it, it is such a singular comedy that I have a hard time. I mean, I've loved it since the moment I've saw it. So obviously I have a hard time looking at this and saying, how can you people not see something interesting here? Whether you like what it's doing or not is a different story, but it's doing something different and interesting. And maybe Let It Ride wasn't as out there and what it wanted to do, but it's still doing something very specific and it's really hitting its mark. Yeah. And as a crafted comedy, it is really well done. And to say like, oh, to dismiss it as a sports movie or a gambling movie, when the the way that it moves, the way that it's edited, the way that the the script plays on screen, like these are very technical aspects of the film that are really well done. Really well done. Absolutely. Yes. One of the things I love about it is just how it moves, how it, it is edited. When you brought up the editing earlier, immediately I always think of one of my favorite moments in the movie comes just a couple scenes later when we're waiting for the photo finish and it flashes what the winners are and you get the little sort of happy chimes in the background and then you see the horse, the guy who owns the horse, the guy who is 
making the, you know, the fix was in, that guy, he like pumps his fist. And it's just this quick succession of shots that tells you exactly what's going on. But it's, it looks so, so cool how this sort of, I guess, montage, this really quick sequence plays out. And I always look at it and I go, look at that awesome editing. How, how quick it plays out. How, there's, there's something that's really kind of fluid and beautiful about that. I mean, you could, you, you could, I really think you could study that last horse race as like a textbook example of how to cross cut oh. between, I mean, there's, you're going back and forth between the, the people and the horses and the, the different glances and, and everybody having a different, slightly different perspective on the way that this horse race is going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's making, it, it's everyone's making technically, yeah. and, and you can look at other movies about horse racing to see how good it is by direct comparison you don't you don't have to look at it and it's like oh that's really i mean just on its own you can see that it's really well done compared to other horse races that have been captured on film mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely yes i think let it ride kills just about any other horse racing movie as far as the horse action is concerned yeah yeah and it's just and you know it's interesting i i you i can't think of too many other horse race movies where you know if you watch I don't know, Seabiscuit, whatever. You're more rooting for a horse and a, and a guy who's maybe riding the horse or who owns the horse as opposed to the people who are in the stands who are gambling. You know, the, the focus is just completely a, different. That is a harder sell, admittedly. It, it is a harder sell. Oh, my God. Yeah, it is. Rooting for the gambler. Yes. Than it is rooting for the horse. Absolutely. Seabiscuit is well made, but I don't... I'm not as excited by those races. No, you're not. No, you're not. Absolutely. No, it's there. I don't remember. I'm. I enjoy the movie. I enjoyed the races, but I, I. Nothing about that movie stands out in my brain. I can't remember those races. I know that I liked that movie. I know that I thought it was good. I don't remember those races at all. Okay, so let's go ahead and. What, uh, what about what about Hot to Try? You remember those races? Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God! Hot to trot. Oh, so good. Also, the name of the last horse and let it ride. Oh yeah. I know that there's there's some wonderful uh, synthesis here between Hot to Trot. Oh yeah. You know what? Maybe we should uh, you know combine both movies in the podcast. Scene by scene, Hot to Trot. Come on. <laughs> that's that's what I'll do after this one. <laughs> Just what people are I looking for. I think I'm for. the only one that signs up for that. Uh yeah, you probably are. Okay, so James, thank you very much for joining me again discussing the fifth scene is that where we're at we're at the fifth scene yeah we're, we're rolling right along that's, here that's what that's what you told me the fifth scene yes this is the fifth scene of let it ride so thank you very much for joining me on this one uh i will probably pester you at some point in the future for uh another scene you, you're good for that i i am good for whatever <laughs> and yes i think charity can win uh, yes well i think charity's gonna lose by a nose oh <laughs> What? Such a fucking pessimist. What a jerk. It's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> Thank you for visiting the Jockey Club. A look at the movie Let It Ride, one scene at a time. This episode was hosted, produced, and edited by me, Dan Delgado. And my guest was James David Patrick. Check out James's own podcast, Cinema Shame, wherever you get your podcasts. Music in this episode is from Epidemic Sound, 
and our podcast cover art is by Sean Labrie. If you enjoyed this episode, and I certainly hope you did, well, then you can feel free to leave us a review wherever it is that you can. Now, when I say leave a review, I mean a, a nice positive review. It may or may not help the show get noticed, but it will definitely make me feel good inside. Or better yet, you could just tell another Let It Ride fan about it. You can contact me through email if you want. It's dan at moviemaker.com. I am on Twitter at underscore Dan underscore Delgado. Or even better, I'm on the Repod app, which is a fantastic way to not only to listen to podcasts, but to interact with podcast hosts like me. Find it in your app store and come by and say hello. And again, thanks for listening. <laughs>